Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Nice. Like we should snap. (laughs) So, uh, just to kind of give you an update, um, there has been some demolition on the site. I don't know if you've noticed any of that. Um, But uh, we are going to do a couple of things today. Let me first of all just give you some update. Um, right now, today, you have committed uh, $3.5 million to this $4 million project, so thank you for that. And just so you know, in the time that we've kind of been uh, operating here, you've also uh, raised about $1 million of that in cash, so that is already in hand, about 25% of the total cost of the project. So thank you for that. Let me remind you of a couple of things. First of all, when you give money to Legacy or Beyond or any of the campaigns we've done over the years, that is capital money that is designated for projects. It goes to projects. Someone said to me, what if we raise more than $4 million? Don't worry, we have places to spend it. <laughs> but where we would spend it is capital. We would. We would pay off the office, we would continue to improve facilities, we'll add some extra things that weren't in the original budget. Don't worry, if you designate money for the capital project, it is designated for the capital project. That said, we have about four revenue streams here that we talk about. One is capital, one is operations, that's kind of tithes and offerings. Uh, Capital campaigns do not pay the electric bill, they don't pay the insurance on the building, they don't pay ministry costs. We have spoiled the staff a little. They do like to get paid on time. So operations goes to support all of that. So just don't forget while we're doing all of this. And then the third revenue stream is Faith Promise. And Faith Promise is money designated for others. We do not keep any of it. So uh, this coming Saturday, I'll just say this. If you've never participated in this event for Special Olympics, you should clear your calendar at this point, you, you don't volunteer anymore. Now you go and you're a fan in the stand. If you can go spend two or three or four or five hours cheering for these athletes, it will change your life and it will change their lives. But Faith Promise is money we designate to give to our partners. So when you arrive, you don't need to spread this around, but when you arrive on Saturday at CV High School and you see all the things that are going on, you're funding it your sacrifice and faith promise and we have multiple partners multiple partners in this community our partnership in africa we support missionaries around the world faith promise that money goes out the door so i hope you'll kind of keep those three revenue streams operations capital faith promise we need to be faithful and hold all of those up together we don't want our partners suffering we don't want the staff to go without payment we don't want the electric bill to not get paid all that stuff happens and capital. And then we also have a fourth revenue stream that's gifts in kind. And that just means there are occasions when we will say to you, hey, if you would like to, you know, the youth department needs a new big screen TV. Would you like to 
buy them a new TV. So you can actually see where your money goes. Uh, you'll see those appear from time to time. So just to bring you up to date. So today we're voting. And uh, that's a part of our bylaws and structure. The, the congregation cannot incur debt without a vote. And so if you're a member of the congregation, 16 or older, you can go out to the table that is in our expansive connection and welcome center. <laughs> and uh, there is a list there, and you check your name off the member list, and then you take a little ballot that says yes or no, and it's white, and you check it, and you put it in the box. But this is what we recognize, that so many of you are not members, but still you support and you're a part of us and you're very much important to us. And so next to that, there's just a clipboard and it has lines. Please write your name. Give us your email. Take a yellow ballot, check it off, yes or no, and put it in the same ballot box. We would like to hear from you. If you're online, what we'd ask you to do is, we'd love to hear from you too, if you'll just send an email office at Montrose Church, and you can just say yes or no. We want to hear your voice as well. So I want to formally read the proposal to you so you know what you're voting on. Everybody with me? There is a sermon, and this is not part of it, so you cannot start docking my time yet. The financing plan for the new, and by the way, this is printed out there. You can read it slower on your own. But the financing plan for the new construction will consist of, number one, cash received. Number two, a construction loan of up to $2.6 million. Number three, pledges that are expected to pay off the loan by the end of 2027. Based on this plan, the church board proposes to complete the construction project as designed by George Hopkins Construction and authorized by the church board, the elder board, and the church officers, and to arrange construction financing as outlined above under the supervision of the duly elected church board. Please vote yes to approve this proposal or no to decline this proposal. So that's what we're voting on today. We've announced it. We're all doing it. Today's the day. And if you don't agree to do this, just look outside. <laughs> no, we do appreciate you, and we do feel like, uh, as we kind of have moved through this process, these are some of those final steps that uh, we need to have in place as a part of our minutes and our resolutions that the board reflects so the lenders and our district and everybody sees uh, your support for the project. I have uh, thought a lot about this little passage of Scripture. And by the way, thank you for being faithful. I know you didn't know what you were getting into when you got here, but I do want to encourage you, uh, not only over these next few months as we kind of go through this process, uh, do I uh, pray and hope that we'll continue to just uh, attend and be faithful, but I, I want to see us grow. I think we have great momentum what an awesome weekend we had last weekend. It was just an incredible day. Uh, all the services full and packed and lots of faces that we haven't seen in a while. And so let's, uh, let's just continue to think about this like we're in the midst of a, a, a really a new movement in the life of Montrose Church. And I want you to be a part of it. And I want you to experience it. Even though it'll be a little inconvenient sometimes. By the way, nice bathrooms, huh? <laughs> the one I was in has its own air conditioner. So if I disappear, you know, maybe like a personal environmental thing.
Matthew 11, 4. John the Baptist is in prison. And he sends a messenger to Jesus who is ministering in the area. And he says, are you the one? Or should I expect another? And you can clearly get inside the conversation. You can clearly go, I'm in prison. You're the Messiah. I shouldn't be in prison. If I'm in prison, I'm not sure you're the Messiah. Not that any of us have ever had that conversation with God. Amen? And Jesus says, go tell John. The lame walk. And the blind see. And the lepers are cleansed. And the prisoners are set free. And the poor are receiving the gospel. Blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. And it's a powerful, personal, sort of gut-wrenching conversation because you, you kind of get what Jesus is saying is, I know what's happening to you, but try to see the big picture. And so often in our lives, I think God has to say that to us. I know what's happening to you is gut-wrenching and overwhelming, but, but you've got to try to see the big picture. But there's more to it than that. There's more going on in it. And I don't know about you, but somewhere along the way, I got the idea that being in relationship with God meant that things would happen to me, but when I prayed, God would make me good as new. Anybody else think that? Yes. I don't know that anybody told me that. I mean, I know I probably heard a lame sermon or two that weren't really biblical that told me that I'll be brand new. And there are passages of Scripture that say, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I know in some spiritual sense that is absolutely true. In some spiritual sense, whatever I was before is washed away. I'm made new. There's a fresh start and a new beginning. But I'm not good as new. I love that idea in Romans 12. Therefore, you know, that you, that you and I are invited to be renewed by the to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How many of you ever have prayed for a spiritual lobotomy? Yeah. Well, there's a few of us. What I mean by that is, God, I don't like what goes on up here. I don't like what happens. And there are some things that I'd like to go away. I'd like to not think about anymore or remember anymore or traffic in anymore. I'd like to actually have my brain removed. I mean, I don't mean removed, but I mean some things in my brain. Well, maybe my brain removed. I don't know. And that's a cultural thing. That's an expectation we have. When you take your car to be repaired, it doesn't matter if it's a mechanical issue or you got in a little accident. When it's done, you want it to be as good as new. You want it to be as good as new. If we went around this room and surveyed right now, I bet you we could say, how many of us in the last few weeks have gone to something in our house and we picked it up and it was cracked or it was kind of, and we went, that's out. I can't have this kind of garbage around my house. I, I got to get rid of it. Because <laughs> for whatever reason, we as a culture want everything to look good and be good and appear to be just right. Amen. I got a house that's almost 100 years old. Do you know what I spend an enormous amount of my time doing? Making it look like it's not 100 years old. 
Amen? I was sitting in the dining room the other day and I heard a thud. And I went outside and there are these big things that stick out from under the side of my house. And what it looks like is they're massive beams that run across the first floor that hold up the second floor. They're big. I feel so safe in that house. One of them fell off. <laughs> and it turns out they don't run underneath the whole house. They're just stuck on the side of the house. They got nothing to do with the structure. It just makes me feel good. Now it doesn't make me feel good. Now, do you know how stupid this is? I have to repair the corbel so I can stick it back on the side of my house so it looks like it's doing some work. It's not. Strictly for appearances. Strictly for appearances. But we want things to look whole and new and fresh. We want to cover up any sort of problems or issues. We want to be as good as new. And that's a cultural thing. Not all cultures in the world celebrate that everything needs to be new. How many of you have ever heard of something called kintsugi? Anybody? Kintsugi? One person. Good. That's about the average. So. So it turns out that there's both a philosophy and an art in Japan that is built around the idea of things that are broken being restored, and it's called kintsugi. And kintsugi basically is a deal where uh, there are artists now that all they do is take pottery and break it and then reassemble it under this methodology. And, and here's how the methodology works. You take something broken and you epoxy all the cracks, but you feel all the cracks and epoxy with either gold dust or silver dust or platinum dust so that the cracks and the faults and the brokenness is highlighted. It is actually the beauty of the art is how it got broken. You don't want to cover it up. You don't want to not see what happened. Well, I just try to think, in our, if you had an artist in our country that was breaking stuff and gluing it back together and then claiming it was art, it would be at the Contemporary Art Museum. But... Would we really think of it as art? The philosophy then goes on to say within the context of the Japanese culture that when things in your home become worn and broken, we do not get rid of them. Because now they represent character and care and love. Now they represent usage and history and, and family and meals that have been shared and prepared. Now they represent something of character and depth. We, we don't want to cover over the marks. We don't want to cover over what's happened. We want to preserve it. We want to highlight it. We want to celebrate it because it turns out the flaws represent usage. It represents utility. It, it, it represents warmth and truth and history. So it's, it's not all cultures that want to get rid of the flaws and be as good as new. Some actually believe there's great power in taking our time and thinking about the faults that are going on. 
When I stop and I think about the chaos of the first Easter morning, I, I think a lot of us, we think about the disciples and we think about Easter and we think about what happened and uh, we think about what a wonderful, faithful group of people they were. But if we really read the story, it's chaotic. It's chaotic and they're uncertain and they don't know what's going on. And when you read Luke's account, you get a couple of things happening. You find that the women show up at the tomb... And he records for us that it's Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. And they arrive there and they see that the tomb is open and they don't know what it means. And two people appear in what seems to be clothes that are gleaming wide and say, why are you here? What's going on? Why do you look for the dead among or the living among the dead? And they have a conversation and they don't really understand. And they go back and they tell the disciples and Peter and John now go to the grave and they look and they don't know what it means. And none of them are putting together the prophetic ideas of death and resurrection. They're not there. That's not who they are. This catastrophic event of the crucifixion of Jesus is a catastrophic event that has taken away from them the one they believe to be the Messiah. And if we haven't gotten that yet, we have Luke's commentary now that says, And the women came to us and said that he was not there, but their words seemed like nonsense to us. And immediately Luke takes us to the road to Emmaus and two disciples, one named Cleopas, and they are walking along and someone joins them and they're complaining. They're talking about the heartbreak of what has happened. And this person says to them, what are you talking about? Are you, is it possible that you're the only person who doesn't know about the events that have unfolded in Jerusalem in these last few days? About Jesus of Nazareth who came and who taught and who was crucified in this heartbreaking sentence. And, but we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one. And then Jesus began to teach them from Moses forward. Why the Messiah had to suffer and die and be raised to life. And they invite him into their home and he breaks bread. And then they see that it's Jesus And now Luke tells us they run back to Jerusalem, seven miles. Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem. They run back to Jerusalem, and they gather in that place, and they are telling that, and it's chaos. I don't think I've ever asked myself this question until these last few months, and that question is, why did Jesus continue to bear the scars and the wounds of his crucifixion? Why why on Easter morning did Jesus not appear as good as new. Why was that not all wiped away? Why did it not just disappear? And when you start to ask that question, then you start to read the scripture a little differently because you find out that the wounds are not just a, an incidental piece of the story. They're central to the story. They're central to the story. In fact, what Luke tells us now as he continues the story from the two on the road to Emmaus He tells us these words. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his feet. It turns out when you start to ask this question, When you start to think about the scars and the wounds that Jesus carries with him, they become very significant. John 20, 
And by the way, this little series that we're doing post-Easter called The Hope is Real, they center around the resurrection appearances of Jesus. They center around the significant moments. Last week, we talked about resurrection, which is a pretty important part of the hope. Today, we're talking about the wounds. We're going to follow through John's gospel, the appearances, the post-resurrection appearances, and how Jesus is making himself known. John 20, 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. I see three significant things about the wounds of Jesus in these moments. Number one, the wounds identify Jesus. They have something deeply to do with his identity. They have something deeply to do with who he is. The the intimation is, without the wounds, he would not be who he says he is. He would have to be identified in some other way. That the marks of these wounds are, are, are more specific than any kind of DNA or any kind of fingerprint. That his identity is wrapped up in the nature of the wounds. That they are using the wounds to determine that this is indeed Jesus. This is him. This is his identity. The second thing to highlight is that the wounds testified to his physical presence. The fact that without the wounds, they might just think it's a ghost. <laughs> they, might, they couldn't relate the physical presence of this person with the physical person that was prior to the crucifixion. That it's the wounds that tie these two things together. That the physical things that happened to Jesus bear witness to his physical presence when he is resurrected. That these wounds tie these two things together. That had he been made as good as new, they would have been suspicious that it's not him. That he wouldn't maybe be physically present and actually alive, but instead some sort of a ghost. And isn't it fascinating that they say it out loud? And they thought he was a ghost. And then what did he do? Look at my hands. And look at my feet. They identify the physical presence of Jesus in this moment. The third thing is the wounds confirm the resurrection miracle. They confirm the resurrection miracle. Dead people are walking. (laughs) Wounded people are alive. Damaged people are functioning. (laughs) 
there is a resurrection reality that's going on. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to be good as new. I, I wish it. I hope it. We see it in a lot of ways, don't we? We see it relationally. We see it emotionally. We see it mentally. We see it spiritually. We see it physically. I bet there are people in this room who today have made comments about how good you used to be as compared to how you're feeling right now. Maybe when you got out of bed, maybe you ask yourself the age-old question, how did I hurt myself while I was asleep? Amen? Amen. As you get older, it happens. You wake up in the morning and go, I have no idea what happened. I, I just laid on this bed. There was no physical exertion whatsoever, but yet I'm wounded. I don't know what happened. A few years ago, I went to a conference, and uh, I was in the guy that was speaking. He's a very well-known pastor nationally, and and I noticed in the you know as we were kind of getting ready for the session, they flashed up there on the screen the title of the session and the conversation, and it was called the Spanks of Ministry. <laughs> you notice there were a lot of female laughter in that. Men are like, I don't know what's, what's a spank. I don't know. And this guy came out and he began to talk. And he, he informed us that spanks, which are things you put under your clothing to help you look better than you are. To help hide your flaws. He explained to us that now they make them for men. And then he explained to us that he was wearing them. So you're already at a point of going, I don't know where this session is going, but I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> and then he proceeded to preach a sermon about the spanks of ministry, about things we do in ministry to hide the flaws so that we look better than we are. Really? Really? And sometimes I wonder, isn't that how we live? Isn't that what we do? I, I want to cover things up. I want to appear better than I am. I, I don't want to bear the marks of my own story and my own journey. I don't like my story. I don't like my journey. I don't like what's happened to me. A lot of it is, is hard or sad or difficult. Or I want to cover it up. I want to appear better than I am. I want God to have fixed everything. So when people ask me, how are you doing? God, I'm just God's blessing me up and down and sideways and backwards and... Sometimes we wonder why people are not as drawn to the church as they used to be. Could it be because we've covered up all of our identity and authenticity? That the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that I will make you as good as new, but that I will take what is broken in you and you will see dead things walking. And you will see wounded things made and the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we look up at ourselves and we go, look at me, but I'm still here. I'm still functioning. I'm still loving. I'm still breathing. I'm still working. I'm still functioning. Three times I asked God to remove the thorn from me and he said, no. My grace is is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect 
in your weakness. Therefore, I will glory in my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what your story looks like. But if you're a human, the chances that you are not somehow wounded... The chances that you are not somehow traumatized or that you don't have a part of your story that you'd like to jettison, that you don't like to talk about or you don't like to tell or there's some kind of bereavement or grief or, 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 or tragedy in your story. It's, it's just so rare that you meet a human who just has had a pristine sort of life. But the beauty of the grace of God and the resurrection of Jesus is not that we are made as good as new. It's that God takes who we are and how we are wounded. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to hold that up and say, listen, look at me. This happened to me, but I'm still here. Dead things walk. Wounded things heal. I'm still breathing. I'm still living. I'm still loving. I'm still caring. I got up this morning. I took a shower. I put my clothes on. I, I, I can still do things. I can still function. By the grace of God, I am empowered in the midst of my brokenness to move somewhere and do something. And I don't have to pretend that I'm okay when I'm not. I don't have to cover over all my flaws. The fact is, we all know that we're all broken anyway. Amen. And the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that it cleans everybody up so that we look around at each other and go, man, I am so glad that I am so good and I am so sad for the people who aren't so good. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that we have been wounded and we carry those scars, but they do not define us. They identify us. They're a part of what makes us who we are. They are a part of the testimony that God works in the midst of impossible circumstances. So that even death can't defeat the power and the grace of God. Even dead things live. And wherever you came from, and whatever has happened to you, and whatever your story might be, and whatever your pain might be, and whatever the nature of your wound might be, it's okay. Because even when we're not okay, we're okay. By the grace of God, especially when we're not okay. And that His Son bears the marks and the scars of the trauma of the story and he doesn't hide them and cover them up and he didn't put makeup on them and he didn't he just stood in front and he held up his hands and he says look at my hands and look at my feet and know the truth of this your wounds do not define you they define the grace of God at work inside those wounds let's pray God as we think about what it means for us to bear the marks of our own story and our own journey and our own life. As we think about what it means for us to recognize that each of us are a living, breathing, walking miracle. That somehow the grace of God allows us to get up again from failure, from, from addiction, from brokenness, 
from everything that can happen to a human being. There's a few of us always in the room. A few of us who have borne this kind of wound. A few of us have borne that kind of wound. A few of us have borne that and that. And how somehow we start to think we're the only ones that are wounded quite like we're wounded. We're the only ones who have the scars that we have. We're the only one that has a level of self-loathing. We're the only ones that hate our own story. We're the only ones that feel like we're not quite as good as everybody else. The message of your gospel is not that we cover it over and pretend. It's that we embrace the truth. That your strength is made perfect in our weakness. So we glory in our weaknesses. Because when we're weak, when we celebrate the goodness of God to reach into dysfunction and brokenness and, and bad choices and poor decisions, when we when we recognize the goodness of God to reach into the places that were dead and make us alive and heal our wounds and, and, and stand us up again and dust us up again and, and, and teach us to keep walking and keep loving and keep caring and keep moving forward. The miracle, the grace is that dead things walk and wounded things thrive. And we find ways to be made whole even if we're never as good as new maybe we're better maybe we're more authentic and more real and more understandable maybe we become then salt of the earth light of the world testimonies to your infinite and never failing grace I pray that today some folks that are listening some folks that will listen in the week ahead, some folks in this room, I pray that they would come to a new way of loving their own story and being grateful for the miracle of the grace of God alive in the very real wounds and scars of human beings. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.